Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those peepers? Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those eyes? Gosh, all get up, how'd you get so lit up? Gosh, all get up, how did it get that size? Golly gee, when you turn those heaters on, woe is me, gotta put my cheaters on. Jeepers, creepers, where'd you get those peepers? Oh, those weepers, how they hypnotize. Where'd you get those eyes? This is the Bureau of Lost Culture. I'm Stephen Coates. Morrissey, Dorothy Parker, Le Corbusier, Andy Warhol, Harold Lloyd, Janis Joplin, Michael Caine, Gloria Steinem, Buddy Holly, John Lennon, Jarvis Cocker. What do they all have in common? Yes, they're all famous people who wore glasses. And in today's episode, we welcome back our old friend, Travis Elborough, writer and counter-cultural commentator, to talk a little bit about his forthcoming book, Through the Looking Glasses, The Spectacular Life of Spectacles, published by Little Brown in July this year. And it's a deep dive into the wonderful world of eyewear. We cover all sorts of things and all sorts of places. Soho, of course, as usual, Pisa, Pince-Nez, St. Jerome, Buddhists, beatniks, foppish dandies, nerds, wonks, beat poets, all whom in some way were blinded by the light. So... I'm very pleased to welcome him back. Travis, how are you? Hello, Stephen. You know, Travis, um, we're here to talk about the history of spectacles and your wonderful book, Through the Looking Glasses, The Spectacular Life of Spectacles. And that's not the only pun in this book. (laughs) (laughs) There are many spectacle-related puns. Uh, Some of them are excellent. Only some, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But, Travis, your CV is as long as your lockdown hair. But who are you? Um, I am a spectacle-wearing author <laughs> countercultural commentator i think we'll add into that okay. as well right mm-hmm. but i mean the interesting thing about you is is that you 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 you've always worn uh, spectacles and you're one of those people who are lucky because they actually look good on you i'm going to get this out right now right at the top is that i should have worn glasses but i went to a, a school which was something between sort of harry potter and name of the rose uh, where there was two kind of great spectacle-related books in one there. Excellent. I'm, we're going to come back to that. But, um, but uh, uh, unfortunately, um, I was kind of mercilessly bullied as soon as I actually wore glasses at school. So it put me off wearing them. And as a result, I've got a weak eye. So I'm just going to drop that in there. So vanity has affected yeah, my a, vision. A, I mean, I I didn't wear them all the time when I was younger. When I was first given them, I don't. This is one of those things I don't actually precisely remember when I was given them. I think I was about seven or eight, but I don't think I, had to, I was wearing them all the time until I reached my late teens and early twenties, when you know things like having to drive a car and going to work in an office where you were looking at computer screens or. Yeah. But it suits you, you see. I mean, and I can't imagine you now without glasses. I mean, obviously your profession is writer uh, and sort of commentator, so it kind of works with that as well. But you know, you, you're one of those lucky people who it looks good on. You know, like Michael Caine on the front of your book here. Um, but so. It's an unusual thing to write about, the history of spectacles. And the reason we like it, Bureau of Lost Culture, of course, is that it's a rare story. It's an unusual story. And we are going to make a connection with the counterculture later on. But give us a quick sort of a tour, a kind of quick journey through the history of the spectacle. Hmm. I mean, essentially, the spectacles arrive what might be considered comparatively late. 
given um, how long you know, civilization has had glass and there have been some you know, basic uses of lenses for, for burning things with. Um, and, uh, but really, glasses don't really turn up or a version of glasses don't turn up until the medieval period, until about the end of the, the 13th century about 1283, I think is almost the precise date we have. We still don't know exactly who invented them or how they came across it, um, but it was in Italy um, and it was most likely a local artisan in Pisa that put together um, essentially two lenses onto a bit of bone. Yeah. Oh, that Was there the single lens, the magnifying glass? Just about, yeah. I mean, I mean, some of this is complicated by different theories about how the eye works. So for a long time, people felt that uh, there's a theory called extramission, which essentially meant that the idea that your eye blazed out beams of light, which then absorbed what it, what it was seeing, rather than the other way around, which as we now know, which is light entering our, you know, um, our, our eyes from objects and then forming in the retina and so on. So these two medical and philosophical ideas about how the eye works really don't get sorted out until around you know Leonardo da Vinci's time um, until the Renaissance period um, so that's something of a hindrance for thinking about how 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 to correct errors of vision um, but it's so the reason why this person in in Italy is he, uh, it's considered you know it's more likely to be a jobbing artisan rather than a monkish uh, figure or a, a proto-scientist who actually got round to this um, so, you know, the glasses arrive in, you know, the tail end of the, the 13th century. Um, and they are, they're two lenses um, and they are to correct effectively what's known as long sight. You know, amusingly, for those of us of a myopic cast, it then takes another, about another 200 years before anyone bothers to, to reverse the, this type of, type of lenses to deal with short sight. And there are many kind of theoretical reasons why, why that might have been the case. But essentially, it's largely for people who are getting older, um, mm. who get what's known as presbyopia, which is age-related long-sightedness, which affects most people because um, your eyes, the muscles in your eyes and the lenses in your eyes deteriorate. Um, that's the bit where anyone who's middle-aged will, will notice themselves moving bits of paper further away from themselves to be able to see it because their muscle has, is unable to um, uh, focus as, as quickly as it has been. Um, so that's what that's what the first glasses are creating. Now we're in Soho, and again, it, so these glasses, these nose spectacles, so varieties of nose spectacles, then hang around until about 1720. Good old Edward Scarlett, who's an optician, spectacle maker in Soho in London, has a shop in Dean Street and then later one in Macclesfield Street. He invents what are known as temple spectacles. So they're spectacles with side pieces, which uh, and often with spikes that would go, or wig spectacles would go into your set to hold them in place. Right, so men and women yeah. all wear wigs. Yeah. So you don't bother actually trying to hook it behind your ear. The first you thing to do is stick it into your wig. Yeah. And, which also, of course, tells you the kind of people who are using them, the people yeah. who could afford to wear a wig, right? Sure. So it's yep. good to know that actually the spectacles took a leap forward right here in Soho. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's related again to the character of Soho that um, many people may be familiar with the, the now defunct optical train of Dolland and Aitchison. Now, the, the founder of that, that firm, Peter Dolland, i.e. Peter from Holland, um, was where his grandfather was a, a French-born Huguenot. 
I think it was his father was a French-born Huguenot. They were originally silk weavers working in, in right. Spitalfields. And similarly, you know, um, certain areas of London, Hatton Garden, Spitalfields and Soho, which had those communities in them. And then later, German and um, Jewish immigrants were big areas for uh, opticians. Hatton Garden, as well as the, its fame for its, its jewellery, but a lot of optical works. Well, it's funny you should mention that because, um, you know, just around the corner from my flat... Um, uh, was the the watchmaker hmm. uh, of course Clark and Mel, lots of people making watches but my memory of him was with a pair of very strange spectacles these very heavy elaborate things which I guess really were sort of super magnified because of course he would be fixing Yang's jewelers absolutely tiny yeah. <clears throat> exactly. tiny tiny yeah. mechanisms in watches yeah, yeah. The idea. So there are temple spectacles, which can hold your your spectacles on your on your head, and then suddenly spectacles with arms, which fix at the back and so on. Start. I mean, there have been sort of attempts at this before the before the seventeenth. You mean the century. with the ear hooks? That was a uh, um, well, the the ear hook things are the, with the ones with the curled hooks on the end, are largely uh, traced back um, to riding, and were. Some of the earliest types with the proper full-on ear hooks were actually on show at the Great Exhibition in 1851. Riding, you mean? Yeah. So you're on a horse. And Genius. So on. It's a yeah. bit like the um, you know kind of sports sports uh, headphones, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. But it, oh, so there are all these these curious types of spectacles. Um, but it takes until you know the 1720s for someone, i.e., Edward Temple. There is a rival uh, in France, obviously, for this um, to actually come up with the idea of effectively having spectacles with with um, what are known as sides on them in order to keep them keep them in place. But then what happens in a way is that because people who are wearing spectacles with sides on, so they you know maybe artisans, so they can have their hands free and so on. So there's a, aristocr- a slightly aristocratic rebellion against having spectacles with sides. So hence you get things like the quizzing glass, um, which is a single lens uh, on a stick, um, or the lorgnette, which is the lorgnette. Yeah, of yeah, course, exactly. right. So like these a, are discrete right. things, and they're almost used like fans, tripping forward slightly to the idea of glasses being fashionable. They're exotic, expensive creations to begin with, for the most part, though actually there are often um, cheaper classes. Which So they became associated with artisans and people who needed to work in some way, like the watchmakers or something like that, yeah. cra- craftspeople. Yeah. So well, then they're... the posh people didn't want the ones with the ear hooks because that implied that you needed to work for a living. And then there was also this thing with... Women didn't seem to wear them at all either. and then But the lorgnette came in, which... if you people don't know what it is it's a kind of it's a pair of glasses without side bits but on a stick isn't it yeah exactly and it's actually it's rather something rather lovely about it actually lorgnette and i quite like it because you just use it when you need to exactly i say that as though i've got one but i haven't but i mean (laughs) (laughs) well it's this and there is it's a bit like the cigarette holder isn't it it's pointless in a a strange way and overly complicated Mm. but there's something sort of elegant about it yeah i mean the thing about the quizzing glass, it's taken up in particular by a, a, a fashionable young rebellious set after the French Revolution who are known and, and mocked as the Incroyables and the Marvelous. And they're foppish dandies who wear English coats and have tousled hair. Um, and they adopt as an affectation um, and as a kind of mocking gesture, um, quizzing glasses, which is the single one on a on a stick, like and a monocle a, on a stick. Yeah, like a monocle on a stick and a, and a lorgnette. It's actually where the monocle com- monocle seems to have evolved from the quizzing glass. Um, 
I mean, I quite like that too because it is something rather dandyish about it as well, and it, this is the implication somehow that you're a foppish poet. Yeah, you know, who's kind of weak-eyed because of your sort of lifestyle. Well, in this some is way. the thing. I mean, I, I guess to go to go right back again, the the, the glasses because they're largely used for reading, and they and they can't they're they're adopted by by monks and religious people, and also in religious iconography and painting, saints like Saint Jerome who is the translator of the Bible into into Latin, uh, even though he dies in about 800 AD, i.e., you know, several centuries before the invention of glasses, Renaissance paintings of him but depict him with glasses on because he is the translator of the Bible. And obviously the, the religious element is quite interesting as well because there's... Um, a certain tension with the idea of improving eyesight. If your vision is God-given, then mm. surely you should trust it and not allow um, artificial, you know, artificial or, devices. Yeah. And that, that feeds into the idea of glasses as, as being deceptive and that wearers of glasses are untrustworthy in some way. So glasses are associated with the aged and the old. They're not, they're not associated with the young and thrusting. Also, because they are no spectacles that you've got to pop on your nose... You can't really be very physically active with this type of spectacle. Um, so there's cases of uh, Leo X of the Medici's, the Pope, but he has a single lens on a stick, which apparently he would take out while hunting. Uh, and there are all sorts of other weird contraptions of, of glasses being on headbands and, and so on to keep them in place. And Teddy Roosevelt, of course, popularised the, uh, the, pin, the pince-nez. Right? Well, the pince-nez had existed slightly before that, yes. Uh, the pince-nez, is, again, is another one of these old things. You know, we've, we Finally, we've cracked the thing. You can have glasses with side pieces on it. And, and then out of, out of the blue comes this aberration, the pince-nez, this... Uh, jam it on your this nose. This jam it on your nose. Uh, so there's a, there's a whole strand of, of spectacles where it's about making them as discreet and unobtrusive as possible, and particularly for women as well. There's there's a whole ream of material about how unladylike somehow or other, um, we use that word in you know in the in its historic sense, how unladylike um, you know, spectacles are and how women shouldn't and again this goes down to lots of ideas about misogyny, about about vision, about whether women should be able to look at, you know, look people in the eye. What do they need their eyes for, anyway? Exactly, <laughs> other than to be, you know, decorative and pretty. Yeah. So, you know, or that, sewing, that, I suppose. Yeah, the idea that women are to be looked mm. at rather mm. than to look out and so on. Right. So there's a whole strand of stuff which obviously doesn't actually culminate but produces, you know, Dorothy uh, Parker's mm. great quip. Men don't make passes with yeah, glasses. Exactly. We, we, but, but interestingly, talking about Dorothy Parker and uh, that time, actually something does seem to change, doesn't it? Because... I suppose if you see your glasses as prosthetics, you know, it's there's something wrong with you or, you know, you've got some a disability of some sort and then mm. to correct that, then it's not very attractive. But suddenly the 20s, 30s, particularly in America with the movies and stuff, they start to become quite stylish, don't they? Something else, something changes then. It's like, OK, we've got these things. Let's make the best use of them, right? I mean, Harold Lloyd and things. Um, that, I mean, the glasses are part of making him... Um an everyman character. He's supposed to be slightly the boy next door. I mean, there's an interesting thing that his glasses are made of plastic and this is the celluloid age and, uh, and movies are coming in. Obviously, earlier glasses were made from real tortoiseshell. As the 20s roll on and the, the frames get thicker and 
you know, you're well, they go in either bit. direction, don't they? I mean, uh, um, and in uh, this side of paradise, F. Scott Fitzgerald's deb- debut novel, he describes a fashion among young university types, and obviously Harold Lloyd. Some of Harold Lloyd's movies have university settings. Um, called the slicker which is the idea of this character who wears these heavy round glasses and slicks their hair back so it becomes quite fashionable at at that time there's also around the same time you have a a fashion for rimless glasses very minimalistic glasses so it puts the glasses into the boy next door it makes them an ordinary facet of life at the same time though you do have things i mentioned in the book uh it's a little bit later it's not i think it's not till 1940 but the bet davis film now voyager um in which uh um, she plays a, a, a on on the shelf spinster who, uh, when she first appears, she's wearing these hide- wearing a kind of hideous dress, hideous shoes, uh, hideous hair, and these glasses. And Claude Rains, who plays her psych- psychiatrist, who um, reclaims her, ceremonially breaks her glasses <laughs> and sends her on her way in this new glamorous looking. Um, glasses. But I mean, you've also got in the twenties and thirties, haven't you? The I'm thinking of Le Corbusier. Le Corbusier, yeah. the architect. You know, I mean, yep. he he makes those very heavy rimmed glasses uh, so stylish, aren't they? Because then it's really firmly planted amongst the intellectuals. He's not a comic. No, I he's mean, he's not. a deep-thinking, yeah. sort of yeah. ideologically driven French philosophical person who's going to change the world, and he's wearing those heavy glasses. And of course, for architects, those glasses became sort of. De rigueur, exactly. They still, we still talk still about we still talk about architect glasses. Architect glasses, so, right? So, so. But, so there's that's got on in the thirties. But the other t- the other two things I was wanting to drop in, which is you mentioned already, is the Ray Ray Bans come along in the thirties. But also, this is the birth of the shades, isn't it? Now, I brought mm. in, as you know, um, my nineteen, I think the nineteen twenty late twenties skiing goggles with green glass and uh, with um, protectors at the side to keep the light out the side. But this is the time when the shade, when shades, yeah. which are very important in the counter culture and youth culture, that's when they emerge, right? A sort of a very, very important kind of cousin of the spectacle. There's a, a long history of tinted lens, lens glassing, but Peeps, for example, when he goes to see um, his opticians in London or his spectacle makers in, in London, he experiments with coloured lenses, and there are a lot, and there is a. A, a whole strand of history, in a way, of of using coloured lenses, go, going predating um, the spectacle. Even I mean, Nero is supposed to have used emeralds to to shade his eyes while watching uh, the game. But you're right. When we're into getting into the 1920s and, and 30s, a lot of it's associated with um, sports um, and also driving because mm. we have the event once we have the motor car obviously mo- a lot of motor cars essentially look like the you know the, the front of a horse carriage with a, some petrol engine stuck on the front of it not much shade not much protection so so originally motorists you know and also aviators have to wear goggles so that so there's an association with a type of glasses which are um, go-getting, you know, daring, modern, Adventure. adventurous, and stuff. So that, so that, and wealthy, I suppose, as and well. wealthy. Yeah. So that that again is bound into the idea of eventually, you know, sunglasses to protect to protect the eyes from the sun, and then you obviously have the the drift 
of the American movie making industry to California, and um, because California is more open to allowing these these new industries to set up there. But obviously, California is nice and and sunny, and Hollywood movie stars are going to have to wear glasses when they're driving around, uh, you know, the lots right. and walking around. So, so, it, so it brings this other level of association so, of right. glamour with it. Prior to really the 20th century, if you're wearing tinted glasses, that's probably because you've got something wrong with your eyes. But also, yeah. if you were of a certain uh, standing in society, you probably wouldn't be out in the sun. So, so st- but straight away for the first time, the shielding yourself from the sun is immediately glamorous. It immediately says movies. And Fitzgerald again on the, you know, summering on the, on the French Riviera, whereas the elderly English would always go in winter for their health. So that, that the transformation in a way of the suntans, once the suntan arrives as well, and glasses hmm. become a part of that accoutrement, because you, although you, know, you want the sun on your body to tan, you, you don't want to be blinded by, by the light, so you will wear sunglasses. So again, yeah, so sunglasses become about that that's fashionable thrusting, they're associated with sports, they're associated with driving, they're associated with, you know, golfing even you know leisure 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 right and i mean also simultaneously you've got the ray-bans as you said um getting going the german company and straight away it's you know your eyes deserve the best in sun glare protection cool comfortable you know it's it's all this stuff and it and they, they immediately look cool it has to be said well, they, i mean the the aviator mm. it, you know its name is is key uh, because it was developed for pilots um, originally uh, and the sort of green shade of it was supposed to protect. So again, once planes start to get higher and higher into the atmosphere, they're, you know, they're facing fierce light um, and that, so, they, so they need protective goggles and those again, they find the, the, their way into civilian use originally as a sporting glass. And then they then come the Second World War, you know, military commanders wear these types of protective sunglasses when they're on manoeuvres and so they again attract these things these glasses which are to do with aviation and the military and so on then become flipped into countercultural style well i mean just before we s- jump beyond the second world war um into the sort of late 40s and 50s when it really does sort of kick off style wise i just wanted to mention one of my um early associations with the subjects of spectacles uh is in a film, and actually, of course, in your book, I must say as well, is that you know you do go into film, you do go into to, to literature. It's yeah. all in there, but of course, you'll remember this: is that in the Great Escape, Donald Pleasance is is playing the part of the British soldier whose job in the escape is to forge documents. I don't know if you remember this, yeah, actually. Of course. Yeah. But there's a great and rather heartbreaking scene in it, which is that because he's, he's doing all this work very close up with, his, with lenses and stuff, he's, he's gone blind. That's right. Uh, yeah. And uh, he wears glasses, these very thick hour-like glasses, of course, but his eyesight's getting worse. And uh, in fact, he's he, he, there's a sort of scene with Richard Attenborough when Richard Attenborough is sussed that he's going blind. And they sort of play a trick on him. He's got to pick something up off the floor mm. and he trips up and stuff. You remember that scene? It's, it's a mm. wonderful scene. Mm. And, and it's James Garner, I can't remember who, who, who which character is the American guy, who, who, who feels for Donald Pleasance and takes him with him anywhere. And I remember that was my, one of my first associations mm-hmm. with, with glasses in the war. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it, but sort of po- post war then, then, then specs do become cool, don't they? Shades become cool, specs become cool. You've got this new style, haven't you, which kind of comes out. Talk about that. The kind of classic guy. You know, the madmen. In the 1930s, 
um, what are known as pantoscopic glasses are, are developed. And they're glasses where the arms or sides, to use the official <laughs> official phrase, I always call, always call them, you know, the, the hockey stick bits, mm. you know, for people, um, uh, move from the middle of the frame, where they often were, up to the top of the frame. It just allows better centering of the lenses and, and greater vision, better peripheral vision on the side because you haven't got the, the things the, sticking the thing in, the way, in the middle yeah. way. Um, and this this is is done for technical reasons initially, but it means you get the creation of for women what are known as the Harlequin style spectacles, um, which have the, the pointy the pointy, bits. pointy bits, slightly mm. cat's eye looking mm. ones. Um, and for men, you know. Um, the, the horn rims that we would be familiar for for people like you know Buddy Holly mm. um, and also um, some of the jazz musicians uh, Dizzy Gillespie and stuff. I mean, in the book, I make the point that in the there's a, a piece in the New Yorker from 1960 where in one of those talk of the town style articles where he goes to an opticians because he is can't, hasn't seen as many of the old old wire style glasses that he remembers um, and he meets this this. Um, Mad Men-esque character um, who's selling the idea of the heavy framed glasses and how he's got all these clients who are lawyers who thinks they can charge more if they're wearing these heavy framed <laughs> glasses and so on. So it's this fashion that becomes very fashionable in a way to, to wear heavy horn rimmed glasses made of plastic zill uh, horn rims and and I argue in a way that this this is the point of the, the two things about it. One is it, 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 the glasses are always relatively associated with knowledge. And this is in the post-war period, where where you have where science and you know the, we're going to land on the moon and all this sort of stuff is coming along, and it's also where phrases like wonk and nerd start getting used for the for the first time. And I see that there's an interesting synergy. I, I mentioned Le Corbusier actually in, in that section because I think it's when his ideas of architecture really get embraced um, and he becomes a real figurehead for, for post-war architecture. But it's also the atomic age, isn't it, as yeah, well? Exactly. So science, science is science. becoming cool in yeah, some ways. Exactly, it's becoming yeah. cool and sophisticated. It, it's yeah. the, the wonk, It's cool to be the wonk. And then, of course, the the, the, the whole thing with uh, de Bernay and the advertising industries is that the advertisers now start to be seen as these kind of sophisticated manipulators. Yeah. Psychologists, yeah. effectively. Exactly, right? So yeah. the wearing the glasses for them is a kind of another sign of their kind of, you know, their superior well, knowledge the, of the human brain, race, right? Yeah, brains, exactly, right? Yeah. But they, also... They have, you, a better, they have a better perspective. They've got a better perspective. They can see things yeah, better than exactly. you can they see they can them. see the future. See so, the future. So, so in a very futuristic age, mm. uh, you know, the, the spectacles... Um, you know, which are you have, you know, people appearing on Buckminster Fuller and co on turning up on television, expounding all these, you know, mm. the ideas about what the new world is going to look like, all wearing these all wearing these, these heavy heavy lensed glasses, and and one of the characters which uh, people remember more fondly from childhood, you know, brains from Thunderbirds, you know, with, the, with Joe Ninety as well, with these big spectacles, and so it becomes cool in a way to signal your cerebralness in art and music and so on by wearing these heavy heavy framed well glasses. let's shade straight into the counterculture there because of course in terms of music i'm thinking i'm thinking Willis conover you know his voice of america you know his jazz share that was broadcast into the soviet union the image of Willis conover is 
He's got he's got the he's got the jacket. He's got the the shirt, maybe the small tie, and those glasses. He mm. looks cool. Yeah, yeah, cool as fuck. He's 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 and the it's the jazz, it's the cool yeah. jazz, sophisticated look yeah. as well, isn't it? And it's, that is when for me it's starting to that's something very countercultural about that, isn't it? When it moves into that world, right? Yeah, I mean, Dizzy Gillespie, bop, you know, Dizzy mm, Gillespie, uh, Milton Jackson, mm. um, Monk. Um, you know, on, on the genius of Monk, he's got these extraordinary glasses, come sunglasses, uh, on the, with these sort of black with some odd gold additions that he has on them on the, on the front cover of his of his debut album. So, um, so the, you know the and you know the, the whole thing about those blue note covers, well, you know, very striking imagery and part of the iconography and imagery of that is these jazz men wearing glasses. And also, they they are bebop is moving away from showmanry and you know um, what they saw as quite rightly to some extent, you know, demeaning minstrelly stuff. Um, it's moving into you know hard, you know, it's putting. Well, also, it's moving away from dancing as well. Yes. It's moving into so it's sitting down, thinking about, thinking about, about what, you know, and, yeah. and admiring the sophistication exactly. of the play. Yeah. Right, so, rather, than, rather than the kind of like flinging yourself around, which, exactly. of course, makes wearing glasses quite difficult. Precisely. So, even with hooks on. So there's even adverts in the back of uh, Downbeat magazine for mm. bebop glasses with either, you know, tinted or clear lenses. So you could have the look, even if you didn't need glasses <laughs> yourself. And this is, you know, the, the, the whole thing of... Uh, in more recent years, you know, the hipster, the mm. hipster glasses, mm. the glasses with clear lenses that you're wearing because you like the look, but you don't necessarily <laughs> need to wear glasses. Before we move away from rock and roll, we should just do the Buddy Holly thing because the thing about Buddy Holly is that, you know, that he really made that his look, didn't he? And I don't he know did. whether he was short-sighted in either glasses he or was, it was an he affectation, was. but no, he was short-sighted. It's, it's the interesting thing about that, and with some of those other other people from the time, is that. You could be rock and roll, you could be super cool, young, and wear glasses. Right? Well, he made that happen, really. Um, no one really before him in the rock and roll thing. Um, obviously, you know, Bo, Bo Diddley, but even Bo, even Bo Diddley, there are, I think on Bo Diddley's first album cover, he's sort of squ squinting out with, with no glasses on. I mean, it looks, he looks very odd, he looks disarmed without his glasses on, in a way. Mm. But, um, but Buddy Holly, I mean, Buddy Holly's, gla Buddy Holly's original glasses. Um, well, his original, original ones, but but the ones just prior to the ones we think are most famously, he, he wore a style of glasses which was known as a brow line. Malcolm X wore brow line glasses, and and they're the ones in a way where you have the the horn rim top and then the metal bottom underneath. I describe them slightly as if they're like they're like Groucho Marx's eyebrows have been drawn on the top, and then you've got the metal bit below. Um, and those were the one of the most. Um, Popular. I wouldn't necessarily say fashionable, but one of the most popular style of glasses in America. I mean, um, one of the historians of American glasses said something by by, by about nine by the mid fifties, something like fifty percent of all glasses in America were were brow line style glasses. They were huge everywhere, um, which then made them rather a conservative style later on. But so Malcolm X, for example, wears brow line glasses, and in a way, he wears them well, probably because he likes them and he needs them, but also they make him look respectable. Because mm. they're glasses, and in a way, he's he, you know the, 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 he's an interesting case in that way because you know um, he looks he looks like a you know more like a school teacher rather than a, a, you know than a radical, and that's part of his look. So anyway, H Holly has has those type of glasses, 
Um, he tries to wear contact lenses. He's an early, earlier attempt at wearing contact lenses because he thinks they're not very rock and roll. But he he's taken up really actually by the Every Brothers, the crickets mm. as well, because I mean they're from you know, they're Hicks from you know Lubbock, whereas um, the Every Brothers, although they're from Kansas, have been around the block a few times and and they know New York well and stuff. So they introduce Buddy Holly to a their menswear uh, store fills on, oh, I think it's on Third Avenue, which was an Ivy League style thing. So the whole thing of Buddy Holly wearing those matching tartan jackets and things, which Bo Diddley was also wearing as well, but it's a sort of Ivy League look. Um, and um, they also were the ones who suggest that he should probably get some more interesting glasses, you know, and not hide the fact you're wearing glasses, get some glasses to say, you know, I'm wearing a glasses. Well, that was a genius style too, yeah. wasn't it? I so, mean, it changed, changed the world. So therefore he, the Everly Brothers are partly uh, behind Holly's, the big black uh, mm. horn rims that, that he wears. Uh, and those are the ones really when he goes off and does his, um, you know, his solo recordings uh, working with strings in New York and so on gets married and you know sadly they're also the ones he's wearing when he right. when he when, when he dies in the plane crash yeah, and they right. are discovered and then rediscovered about 20 years after the plane crash in a, a in a in a drawer uh, well they know they I think they went back to the widow I don't know where they exactly right. are now but yeah. right. um on the subject same same sort of time moving across um you know from him to the beatniks so the other person I was interested in was Allen Ginsberg. Yeah. Because he's wearing those glasses. He, he is. In the late, late 50s, he's got that kind of Ivy League look to him, yeah. actually. Um, and it's all part of that thing, isn't it? On the road, the beats. Yeah. And it's, you know, intellectual Buddhism and all that sort of stuff all mixed yeah. up together. The interesting thing about Ginsberg is, is that because he keeps his specs all the way through, but he's, he's, he's the rest of his... I mean, I think yeah. he changed towards the end, but his, 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 yeah. his specs stay the same. Everything else changes. Exactly. I've got a, yeah, funny, yeah. I've got a funny story about uh, uh, Ginsberg because Miles, you know, Barry Miles, as you know... Yeah. Uh, in fact, I've got a picture of, of uh, Miles with Ginsburg and um, well, Miles was a, a rather sporter of uh, striking spectacles in the nineteen sixties. Well. Well. Indeed, he was very stylish indeed. But there's, there's um, Miles told me that um, Ginsburg stayed up just at the road here in, in uh, Fitzrovia with him when he came to London quite a few times, and he told me that he'd often sort of get up in the morning and come out, and Ginsburg would be there naked, apart from his uh, glasses. Yeah. Well, Fixing, I mean, changing the fuse in the fuse box was the f first sight he got <laughs> yeah. of him was his ass, and then full of, full of well, I mean, if, if, if we scroll scroll forward, that we have that 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 image of John Lennon and Yoko Ono on the Two Virgins cover, where they where they're both naked, but he has his his, his little round glasses, glasses on, on yeah. and that's it. Yeah. So, well, actually, that's good timing, isn't it? So, that nice nice segue there, uh, Travis, because we're, we're we're deep in the counterculture there. So, we'll come back to the sort of shades thing. Um, yeah. So Ginsburg's, you know, wearing them through, and then Lennon starts to wear. The, those little round glasses, doesn't mm. they? And uh, one of the puns in your um, uh, your book, one of the excellent puns, working glass heroes. Uh, <laughs> that's a good time to bring Lenin in. Um, give us the story of Lenin's uh, glasses. Well, did I mean, did Lenin, he need them? Yes, he did. He he had he would been given glasses at the age of about eight, I think it was, um, and hated them um, and disliked them because he because in his words he said and he, this was his phrase he thought they were sissy. Mm. Uh, so he tried as hard as possible never to wear them um, and would tuck them into his jacket. Um, and he wore contact, again, wore contact lenses on stage where he, where he could. Um, off stage, he just had a pair of, actually had a pair of, you know, fairly ordinary horn-rimmed glasses that he wore 
um, when he was out out of the public eye. So he needed glasses. They've just recorded um, Revolver, and he has gone off to Spain to make a film with Richard Lester. Richard Lester had obviously worked on Hard Day's Night, um, and they were making it's, it's a war it's a war satire film called How I Won the War. Uh, starring Michael Crawford. And Lennon, he was given a bit of a haircut and he was also given these round um, pantoscopic glasses. Um, they're, they're the standard, in a way, you could have got them on the NHS. They're round. They have a they had a, a plastic mock tortoiseshell frames on them. Um, and he wore those when he was making the movie. Um, and he came back from making the movie with, um, with a, a new song, called Strawberry Fields, which he'd been strumming around with while waiting in a hotel in in Spain for the, his next shot to be taken. The film was a bit of a flop, but but one thing that came out of it was that he um, kept the glasses. Oh, and Strawberry Fields. And Strawberry Fields. So he appears in um, not only but also the Dudley Moore and Peter Cook wearing his his new glasses and they become part of his look from then on really and it comes at the point in a way when the the Beatles are have stopped touring and they're retreating in again it's this intellectual thing they've, they've retreated into the studio to do their work and they're thinking themselves as as more serious artists in, in in lots of respects so Lennon's adoption of the glasses becomes at that point in the Beatles development is uh, is is in, in in motion anyway John Sebastian um, from the loving spoonful um, is already wearing little round glasses and has a song called Four Eyes um, on their second album, which is all uh, um, kind of uh, from the point of view of a, uh, a bully attacking a, a spectacle wearer. Hmm. But that, should, that should have been my theme tune. Uh, but it, uh, so, and I've sent you earlier, one of the things that uh, I noticed is that there's quite a few bands around the time I had one member who wore specs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That uh, if you check out bands, mm. um, you know, there's the, it's okay if one person sure. is wearing glasses, and usually not the singer. Not the singer, but if there's two people wearing glasses, it doesn't kind of quite work somehow. Actually, yeah. I noticed that Blur, um, they because it used to be just Graham who, who wore glasses mm-hmm. in Blur, but when Dave started wearing glasses, I thought they went downhill. <laughs> um, <laughs> doesn't quite work anyway but um, but um, but it is interesting because so so there is having one person in the band who wears glasses but we should talk about Hank Marvin as well right well Hank I mean Hank Marvin was told um, by uh, another musician that you know he shouldn't wear his glasses on stage um, you know it wasn't 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 fitting wasn't very rock and roll and he defied that right. uh, and and again I, I'd argue that and Hank is also he represents again this this wonkish thing. There he is with the Fender Stratocaster guitar, this astonishing space age piece mm. of guitar equipment that he's playing. And you know, in some respects, it might might as well be a rocket ship or something from Mars that he that he's uh, you know employing. Um, and you know, the te- there's an element that he's the technician as well as the 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 guitarist when he when he's playing that instrument and making those kind of sounds uh, i mean the the shadows um i mean cliff himself becomes a glasses wearer a bit later on he's a bit of a covert glasses wearer where glasses wearer until about the 1960s and when he finds God and then starts wearing <laughs> glasses, perhaps again, right, like the blur, maybe that was the point when it went a bit wrong. <laughs> it all started to go wrong. So uh, the other thing which I mentioned to you earlier, which um, is quite interesting, and it's come, been coming up a lot, actually, the way, different way that women were treated in the county culture or in youth culture or in rock and roll, whatever you want to call it, is that there's much less women 
who publicly wear glasses in the rock and roll Definitely. and counterculture yeah. world. I mean, I was sort of nipping through and I could only really find Janis Joplin. Uh, I'm sure there were lots of others as well, but it's but that was the one that stood out. Um, you had no. that kind of Victorian prejudice against women being cool and wearing glasses kind of gone all the way through, you think? I think it's, it still lingers. I mean, there's still a... Uh, there was a report done a couple of years ago about um, one of the dating sites and how people got less swipes if they appeared without their glasses on them when, when they did for women anyway. Um, I mean, Nana Muscuri is the... Um, the you know the the exception to the rule in not a, way. a deeply countercultural figure though no no she's in the more in the easy listening uh, you know Euro pop religious Europop canon um, yeah I mean it's it's extraordinary actually how few um, women in pop with glasses that you see um, Grace Jones a little bit later but then of course some of the famous ones Roy Orbison hmm. Now, of course, Roy Orbison, that was an interesting one, isn't it? Because he was he had eye, he, he did have serious eye problems, didn't yes. he, as well? Yeah, yeah. And yet he kind of turned it to his advantage, right? Well, he, I mean, again, he, he I suppose he, he, he is, because he wears the tinted glasses mm. at the point when the tinted glasses are not solely associated with problem vision. They are, they've, they've already become mm. associated with a certain degree of rock and roll cool, and therefore he, he rides that wave as, as it were i mean obviously stevie wonder who is is blind um and um obviously ray charles as well you know um they're uh, but you know because of the music they make um but i particularly argue with with someone like ray charles because it's, it's you know it's really at the front of 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 r&b and is is very cool um gets away but, i mean there's a whole there's a whole strand of blue you know blind lemon jefferson you know of of old blues guys who who in a way are being rediscovered in the 1960s by the counterculture in the mid 70s of course there was a sort of easy listening duo peters and lee there was, who, who, yeah. who made us they sort of traded on the fact that peters or was it lee was blind and wore glasses i mean yeah. that was part of their kind of shtick in a way wasn't it the other figure who doesn't hide away from his his glasses wearing and makes a, a great it's hardly 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 very cultural countercultural now but is of course elton john mm. right uh, well i mean yeah, so, i'm glad you mentioned that because i'm just thinking myself in the 70s there was the explosion of the kind of star-shaped glasses wasn't there the yeah. sort of the totally over the top Definitely. psychedelic eyewear whether they actually worked or not but they became they be, then they became I mean for Alan John they were part of his part of his yeah image, I mean you have a there's a there's a piece in Vogue in 1966 in um, a big spread uh, a feature called something like how I think it's called something like you know how to wear it devastatingly is the, is, the, is the regular feature and they run one on spectacles and these oversized wacky coloured 60s glasses so um, even including actually a, a, a almost like a uh, long yet, uh, yeah, to his back in the, and in Sly the and the Family Stone and there's the whole disco glasses. Yeah, I mean there? some of the disco glasses thing is obviously shades. Mm. Um, there's the shift in a way that something like the Aviator in the 60s which is a sunglasses, the frame starts being used as a spectacle frame um, and becomes very fashionable and, and very cool. Um, again, probably because it has a, a military-esque association. And Gloria Steinem, the great mm. uh, feminist, wore these big um, aviator spectacles with a slight tint uh, for the most part, but you know, made wearing those kind of glasses look quite cool. And then slowly that starts to come unraveled and... Uh, and aviator spectacles start to be the, you know the 
worn by you know serial killers and uh <laughs> and computer, computer geeks like you know gates mm. and so on where these you know and they they, so they get it they become very unfashionable they've never really quite recovered mm. they've been worn ironically we think of something like you know napoleon dynamite in the early 2000s hipster style movies um they, but the fashionability is never quite mm. they've never really recovered from mm. from the serial killer um computer geek no that's phenomena. true that's true but uh, in the 70s of course the other thing which happens is punk of course which yeah. changed everything and, and um i had roger burton in from the horse hospital and roger was telling me because of course he was a clothes trader yeah you know in king's road mm -hmm. during the modern the punk era and one of his big hits as a clothes trader was wraparound shades mm. he was I think Roger was probably responsible for the outbreak of wraparound yeah. shades in the New Wave era. Yeah, he, he sort of saw somebody in France actually wearing them, and then sort of came back and got a guy here to up in Halston to spray various shades, various kind of day glow colours and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And uh, so you couldn't see through them; they were so they were so sort of poor quality. Yeah. But they 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 were <laughs> they big hits. Yeah, exactly, yeah. They caught on big time. Uh, and then of course you've got the going into the sort of post punk era. We've got to talk about him, haven't we, Morrissey? You know, because he's going back to the Buddy Holly thing, Team Elvis point. Costello, Elvis and, Costello, and, yeah. Um, well, uh, Trevor Horn and Buggles and so on. So, mm. um, the figure who gets slightly overlooked because his later success is. Um, so flamboyant in a different way um, is Adam Ant, who wears clear. If you watch Jubilee, for example, for part of them, he's wearing clear NHS square glasses. The clear ones were normally dispensed to women. And again, the same with the pink and the blue ones, because they were considered, you know, more feminine in, in, in what, for whatever that means or whatever that, that at the time but that was certainly who they, they were prescribed to you normally prescribed young girls would tend to get the blue or the pink glasses and young boys would tend to get the brown or the or the black ones um but and a man in in jubilee and as far as that wore these nhs um clear glasses with, with a leather jacket with you know with muscle bound and so on so it was a, a an interesting combination of imagery and um, so you're sort of projecting mixed messages of, yeah, sort of, sort of vulnerability, vulnerability and strength, and, strength time, and so yeah. on. Um, Elvis Costello is um, obviously, you know, he he again part of the the element of, I mean, his, his you know the combination of his name as well, the, you know, the, the, the fact that he calls himself Elvis but wears these glasses is again a, a nice punky play on on you know what what a pop star should look like um yeah and he's um, in the, with the emphasis emphasized with the kind of gawky posture as well with yeah the kind of and, posture wearing and, yeah wearing those the yeah, slightly oversized jacket so mm. wearing you know it's got a quite quite a 50s look hasn't he mm. wearing the this the the fluorescent socks and the, the crepes shoes and the bolo mm. ties but with these glasses so picking up you know, a more of a mm. he's called elvis but it looks more like buddy holly right exactly, um, exactly. and yeah. um but you're right i think i mean morrissey um, Morrissey's original image when he first burst on onto the scene in 1982, 83, 83 really, wasn't it? Um, is, you know, he, at the time when everyone's wearing, you know, um, 
big shoulder pads and trying to look futuristic for the most part. Not everyone, obviously, but he appears in you know, a woman's blouse. He's wearing his NHS glasses. And at one point, he's also sporting a hearing aid after <laughs> as a nod to Johnny Ray. So he's, he's wearing these things which would be m- mockable as badges of, of pride. They're very um, anti-rock and roll. Yes. And it was a bit like, I'm, we're in this together. I'm one of you, isn't yeah, it? And that's why, of course, time. people loved him for they that. Did, yeah. Things they really loved him for. Right? I mean, he was he, in an interview. He didn't actually wear his glasses that often. He did wear, he, for the most part, he actually wore contact lenses. But he, mm. uh, but he did, he did once say in an interview that uh, maybe the Smiths should have been sponsored by a firm of opticians <laughs> in the way that certain groups were sponsored by Levi's or, or Wham. I think were sponsored by Tashini, the, tra- the tracksuit made or Suddenly they were given lots of Tashini tracksuits to, <laughs> to wear. Um, so yeah, so Morrissey certainly makes that geek chic thing is at the mm. forefront of of, of that. Another um, band Smith where only one person wears glasses, by the intrigued. way. I believe Morrissey would not have stood for another member of the band appearing in specs in public. I'm sure the other members of the band yeah. wore specs, but he wouldn't that wouldn't have worked, would it, you see? Probably not. I mean the other band that I remember um making glasses wearing seem fashionable and cool and who were also quite cerebral was Japan and, and David Sylvian. So uh, Mor- you know, Morrissey certainly um helps forge this idea. And also, we have to remember in 83, um, when he appears in his National Health Glasses, National Health Glasses are um, not long for this world. So, and, and, you know, folding in into the into the 90s, we, you know, we have, um, I mean, there are there are fashions for, for big, colourful frames mm. become very, I mean, pe- people like Keith Haring, for example, mm. who, you know, has a range of spectacles, um, some of which look like, you know, they could be swatch watches or something. Yeah, um, the tinted glass comes back, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, pink glass and then the plastic frames and stuff, the white yeah. plastic frames. I mean, this is the thing, essentially, plastic lenses get a lot better mm. in the late 80s. There's a new coating to prevent them being scratched. So glasses get lighter so you can have bigger frames and people start having more colourful frames and so on. Mm. So everything goes a bit haywire. Um, things maybe get a little extreme in the same way that, you know, people's jackets get big and shoulder powdery and people start wearing brooches and things so you know it's the big the big suit with the big glasses we haven't really i mean you know the the story of shades is such a big one and it's always been so associated with rock and roll hasn't it as well particularly rock music of course isn't it the shades and um i'm thinking you know even jason spiritualized and i can't remember every does he ever appear without shades on in his photographs? Um, <laughs> yeah, but Andrew, uh, Andrew Eldridge. Andrew Eldridge, we should talk yeah. Sisters of Mercy. Now, they all wore, they all wore mirror shades at the same yeah. time. Um, so that's it, isn't it? The, the shades, you know, as you were saying earlier, apart from they've got the image of glamour, and then when you get the mirror in as well, is they've got this kind of uh, somewhere between alienated and rejecting the viewer, isn't it? Because yeah. you're not, if the eyes are the windows of the soul, you're not going to get any look at my soul that's the message yeah. of the, is that yeah. the message of the I, am mirror soul, I am soulless it's I'm soulless, soulless yeah <laughs> I'm super cool as well I mean yeah. or, or not I mean uh, or Michael Jackson as well of course with the mirror shades and yeah I mean Jackson also well, the, the one the other frame we our style of frame which I haven't mentioned which is probably worth mentioning in the, from the 80s is Casals, uh, which was a, a German brand which was picked up by American hip hop artists uh, there's even a, a hip hop act called the Casal Boys um, who have a song called snatching castles because people were people did mug uh, for, for, for each other for castle glasses um, often not when wearing lenses but in the video for bad there's a section there's a very long video for bad before the, before the song starts up there's a discussion of of wearing castle glasses yeah. and so on so the, again these are um, 
these are badges that you know of, of honor of people like you know Run DMC wear them and make them as you know as much a signature as of early hip hop as you know the 808 drum machine so right on. that's interesting and of course then you've got the kind of I'm thinking you know the Matrix you know yeah I mean, Matrix you, is kicked into that point around the millennium where glasses are getting suddenly get small again very small narrow lens and a bit more insect like as well yeah exactly there's and I think, um, futuristic does, slightly yeah I think they? doesn't um, Morpheus I think he has a pair of pince nez doesn't he he sort of put he puts his puts these little sort of tiny Probably, little shades yeah. onto his nose I haven't seen it since it came out so I um, you know, <laughs> still looking good I think yeah. uh, and of course Matrix 4 is out uh, next year it's going to be interesting to see what style the glasses are well right. this is it yeah, yeah. Um, and we, but I think sort of like a lot of things, I think in the noughties and maybe now, uh, they're sort of it's not they've lost their way so much, but it's just that they don't matter so much anymore, does it? I mean, whether you wear glasses, you don't wear glasses, the styles, the strong styles that you talked about, you know, you talk about in the book, you know, the Wayfarers and the and the Ray Bans and those classic styles, you know. Now you could see them all at once, couldn't you? You could walk through Shoreditch, you could on one street, you could see ev- all of those styles, probably including a lorgnette, actually these days. Yeah, probably. I mean, that. within you know, within a few years, by the time, say Jarvis and the the, the retro mm. thing has has fully formed in some respects. I mean, Jarvis also wears contact lenses, but on, but it but it's become. Uh, you know, retro. What it was the the great phrase that uh, the awful Ariel Pink uh, used, retrolicious. Yeah, I mean Jarvis made this sort of geek chic was back. Wasn't yeah, it? With, exactly. With the so sort of you know the school teacher kind of school teacher turned rock star. Exactly. Sort of look. So right, so yeah. it's re- it's come full circle in that way. That um, and also in a way we've gone beyond that now. In a way that no one no one thinks someone who's wearing a pair of big glasses is doing it for a laugh or for mm. some very advanced fashion statement. They're just wearing it because they think they look cool, and maybe they look cool, maybe they don't. Um, but all the all the styles I mean, with the internet, you know, everything exists at the same time. Um, and of course, there are styles which go in and out of, of, of fashion or become more and more fashionable. Mm. I'd say at the moment we're in, a, and apparently the the all the predictions are of a, of a, our Zoom lives is that bigger and bolder glasses right. are apparently hipper at the moment because you look better on Zoom with You're more distinctive Zoom with, with, with more distinctive glasses, and that. You know, again, that how how we represent ourselves on online will change the types of glasses that people will wear. I mean, I, there was a revival slightly of the mirrored shade a, a few years ago, um, where people seemed a lot more comfortable with them. And I wondered if that wasn't something to do also with selfies. Is that when I was a teenager and people were mirrored, we had that slightly revolved reaction. If people were wearing mirrored sunglasses, you felt slightly unnerved by it. But because people have been are now fairly used to observing themselves on little screens in their hands, they actually prefer uh, it. Seeing seeing their own image doesn't bother them in quite the same way. And do you think you can get away with stuff if you wear glasses that people who don't wear glasses can't get away with? Do you think that people regard you as less likely to be violent if you're a glasses wearer, or that you're obviously more intelligent, uh, more bookish, but I mean also that, you know, you're sort of less threatening if you wear glasses. I mean, I, th- I think I think so. I think mm. that if I was walking in the street and you sort of did an A-B test and there's somebody walking towards me who's wearing glasses, I think I'd feel sli- very slightly less threatened by them. Maybe, maybe. I mean, there's the element about it that might be that we as glasses wearers, I can't speak on behalf of the entire glasses wearing community, <laughs> a terrible phrase for that is. But I mean, you are conscious of your weakness that you know, it, someone who's only got to come and punch me in the face or whack my or whip my glasses off, and I'm intrinsically disabled um, because I won't be able to see as well. I would have to find them in order to be able to negotiate, you know, the space. Um, 
uh, you know, it would be hard for me to, you know, get on the get on the get on the right tube or whatever without. So you my actually, in fact, you are more vulnerable. And of course, the, yeah. in literary yeah. terms, the, the 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 character that springs to mind most is Piggy in Lord of the Flies. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. he's the fat kid, isn't he? He's not he only is. Is he fat. Yeah. But he's also he wears glasses. Yeah. Probably NHS glasses. And actually, of course. When um, the bullies on the other the, the other tribe, as it becomes sort of deliberately uh, steal his glasses and break them, he's he's fucked basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's I mean, how many um, sort of spy or films do you see where the person cr- crushes the glasses mm. under their foot um, as a envelope? But it can. I mean, Hitchcock uses glasses often uh, to in- indicate something sinister as well and one of it's a and quite a lot of german impressionistic movie makers did this as well which is to have again to 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 go back to the idea of the mirrored glasses which is to shine the light on the glasses so the eyes can't be seen um creating a slightly disturbing impression if we think back to even the indiana jones movies the most sinister nazi is the guy with the little round glasses and the leather coat that's right um so i think dr strange love yeah strange love as well um though he's a tinted aren't they again Mm -hmm. he's wearing uh, almost sunglasses um so there's an element that glasses sometimes have an association with sinisterness as well pg woodhouse is credited with being the first person to use the americans an american slang phrase for glasses which is cheaters right i mean at the beginning i started off with that uh, jazz song jeepers creepers woe is me i've got to put my cheaters on right but travis the other thing which we mentioned earlier which is kind of quite interesting is that the how glasses, wearing glasses, in a place like the Soviet Union during the various waves of terror, mm. and when you know Stalin was basically issuing edicts mm-hmm. for numbers of people to be arrested, mm. irrespective of whether they'd done sure. anything or not. Yeah. So there was a kind of basically anybody who was seen to have been part of the intelligentsia mm-hmm. was high up on the on the target so i mean people were literally getting arrested for looking intelligent mm. right well, that, so wearing glasses a... of course would have been a sign that you were from that particular intelligentsia class and so therefore became a dangerous thing to do so people stopped wearing their glasses mm. well i mean that that's certainly the case that happened with the khmer rouge who, who murdered people who uh who wore glasses under the idea they were part of the intelligentsia that was enough to get them executed uh, and I'm sure probably, you know, that, um, I mean, there's probably in a more benign way of thinking about some of those things. There are probably people who, for fear of wanting, of looking too intelligent, didn't wear their, their glasses and, you know, loused their homework up because they couldn't read the blackboard or whatever else to put a, a more, a less horrific, uh, you know. And that slang phrase, in a way, cheaters, implies that you're getting away with something that you shouldn't really be able to see, but these glasses are, you know, are, are, are a deception. Um, and so this this distrust, Goethe, for example, dis- distrusted people who wore glasses, disliked people who wore glasses because he felt he couldn't trust them because he wasn't seeing mm. all of them. And again, this idea in a way that somehow or other also that the other person might see more than you somehow or other it's also why if we think back to um detective fiction uh, sherlock holmes you know maybe not in the books but certainly in the iconography has his magnifying glass and his perception of events um, uh, is much sharper than than anyone else's you just reminded me the masterly portrayal of crippin by richard attenborough yeah 
he's he he when he talks he's polishing his glasses isn't yeah he? And it's yeah deeply deeply sinister we didn't mention harry potter and that's fine yeah i mean she describes him as uh wanting to make a glasses character that was a hero and also he's the perception of the of the book so that's that's her ang- angle on that in fiction and film there are sometimes there's a shortage of of spectacle wearing heroes and Michael Caine, you know, in the Ipcris file, he is bond with glasses. And the, again, the point about him is he's the sp- a spy who sees more than anyone else oh, because he's cool. got his glasses and they're cool. Yeah. Right. Well, you do come smack up to date in this and we haven't got into the sort of Google glasses and all that sort of stuff. That's for some other, other time. But I, I love your dedication to my parents, whom I didn't see much of in 2020. Very nice touching and a pun as well. Starting with a pun. <laughs> I did think it is. So the book Travis Elber, Through the Looking Glasses, Spectacular Life of Spectacles, Little Brown, published... Um, in a couple of months from now. I did think your designer missed out art here because, you know, your surname Elborough has got two O's in it and it was separated by an R. Surely that was an opportunity to make a, a, a spectacle-based spectacle graphic around your surname. So there we go. That's it. So, um, Travis, we got there. That was a, a wonderful panoramic view, sort of, through uh, binoculars and magnifying glasses and microscopes at the strange story of spectacle thanks very much thanks Stephen. cheers so there we have it another episode of the bureau of lost culture i trust you enjoyed that whether you're a, a spectacle wearing person or not some someone's come to london so i might be able to get my shades on one of these afternoons i will put a link to travis's work not just this book but all his other multitude of works uh in the show notes you can find out more about us at bureauoflostculture.com and, of course, at all the major podcast providers. If you enjoy this show, leave us a review and we'll see you next time. I'm Stephen Coates. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>